It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 628 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me on the show today is my guest, Damian Thompson, who's the chief customer officer of LeadFuse. And our conversation today is all about selling as a service, how you as a salesperson need to serve your buyer first in order to sell to your buyer, you know, give to get. So we're going to dive into how having the service perspective really helps sales reps who are having a hard time qualifying closing business with the right prospects. And we'll get into how really it's our outdated views of a seller's responsibilities are perpetuated by much of the sales training that's provided today and how we can change that. So be sure to join us for this. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 628. So friends, as I've been mentioning, I've been mentoring and training sales professionals for years now, and I can tell you that one of the most important elements to career success is aligning yourself with a company that develops its employees, values their customers, and has a portfolio of products that really can compete with anyone in the market. Now, with its recent acquisition of Level 3, the new CenturyLink has become a world leader in providing cloud security, real-time communications, hybrid IT, and managed services. So if you're a top sales producer and you're looking to challenge yourself or take your career to the next level, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash Accelerate. That's CenturyLink.com forward slash Accelerate. And join their talent community and see if perhaps CenturyLink would be the right step for you and your career. Lastly, before I talk with Damien, let me remind you, as I do in every episode, that if you haven't yet signed up to receive my periodic emails, then you're missing out. I do save some of my best writing about sales, best advice and recommendations, but sales, leadership, resilience, character, values that can help drive your sales results, save those for my subscribers. So visit andypaul.com right now to subscribe to that. All right, let's get to it. Damian Thompson, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. So um, where are you joining us from today? I'm in uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona, by the time I got to Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, Glenn Campbell just died recently. Always think of Phoenix when I think of Glenn Campbell. So, um, question for you. We've got sort of standard opening question I ask during the, <laughs> I change it around often, but so, yeah, here's, here's today's standard question. <laughs> and that is, in your opinion, what, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? You know, with everything going on in the world, all the technological change, what, what's their biggest challenge? Well, that's a that's a great question, actually. Um, so I make the big oh, bucks doing that. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I'm, I, you know, I, I just I'm being bombarded with a bunch of them. Um, so I think, I, you know, I, I I talk about kind of the the biggest challenge I think that that salespeople have is something that the sales profession as a whole kind of has, and it's one of those problems that it's going to be a, a little esoteric, but. You know, I think we have a we have an identity problem, and I think most salespeople have an identity problem. And you know, I'm I'm a sales professional. I love my profession. I, I treat this as a profession. I educate myself outside of work hours. I read everything I can. I'm always looking to to discuss you know what works and what doesn't work, and test and measure. And I I'm a big big fan. I do believe it's the pointy end of the stick in business, and I believe that sales is what you know makes businesses run. And so sure. I'm a big fan of it. However, 
right? We know that your average person's view of sales is not positive, right? They think of the worst case scenarios, the pushy, you know, car salesperson, the aluminum right. siding, you know, door, you know, whatever. And so um, there's an identity gap there, always has been. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times now what's happening is a lot of the salespeople are buying into that as well. So I think the salespeople now are saying, you know, they don't want to be, I'm not a salesperson, I'm a customer success person. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a sales, you know, relationship manager or whatever it ends up being. And so I, I think that I, I, uh, understanding that, you know, what we do is, you know, is, is a skill that has to be trained and honed and, and kind of used often, but also something that you should be proud of and something you should be sharing with other people is the way you get better at. You don't get better at athletics by hiding what you do and by calling yourself something else, right? So like you get better at it by surrounding yourself with other people that are passionate about it and, you know, are, are pushing the envelope and always trying to do new things. And I feel that, uh, you know, sales is that, you know, I was reading something re recently about this and it's true. We almost all of us fell into sales, right? It's not a career field. It's not a, it's not a, a course of study in most universities. Um, it's something that you get, if you do get a degree, you get a degree in something, business management, and you get out there and realize it doesn't mean anything and you get a job somewhere and they actually put you into a sales role or you, you find it some other way. So because of that, I feel that people never, they don't own it the way they should own it. So they have this self-identity issue with it. And I think that problem is, is why we don't kind of demand the, the kind of respect that we should in a lot of cases. And I look at that in organizations a lot of times of, you know, while sales reps in, in bigger companies a lot of times are some of the best paid people because they're they're moving that needle, right? They're actually making things happen. Uh, there's this kind of disconnect and people talk a lot about sales and marketing alignment or sales and operations alignment and that sort of thing. And like, there's no need, you know, you don't have you know, engineers and operations alignment, right? That there's not, there's, they don't do that, right? So there's, we create these kind of false walls between us because we either aren't proud enough of what we do or are, you know, are willing to take the common narrative of, you know, salespeople are, you know, it's, it's not this profession that should be seen as something, you know, dignified and something that people um, that are, are good at what they do actually choose this. It's something that you just kind of fell into. All right. So <laughs> sorry, a little long way to lot, there. No, <laughs> but a lot, no, a lot, a lot of good right. stuff to chew on there. So, so isn't part of the issue there with the self-identity is that we're identifying the wrong thing that they actually do. And by this, I mean, is when you think about it, what do we really do as salespeople? I mean, what, what is our primary function in sales, and and I think we get. I could ask the question to a thousand people and get a thousand different answers, perhaps. But to me, I think part of it is is that people have the completely wrong idea about what they're doing in sales, and as a consequence, it has an impact on their ability to succeed. And I'll give you an example. You know, I I uh, made sort of a when I before I started my own company. Well, even afterwards, when I've worked with clients, yeah, you know, I've made a specialty of of helping convert engineers into salespeople. And you know, people with high degree of product knowledge and customer insight into salespeople. Now, intellectually, philosophically, whatever you want to say, none of these people are people that really were inclined at all to be in sales. But what I found is the key to helping them understand and to accept it was to say, well, what do you think you do as a salesperson? And when they find when and when they finally understood that what their job was was not to push something 
but to serve somebody, right? This is a service profession. And when they understood their job was to serve as opposed to push, suddenly these people became tremendous salespeople because they were there to help. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's it's a great way of looking at it. And I agree. Like, I, you know, I, I tell you all the time, that you, you can't sell anybody. Like, you don't you don't change people's minds, especially these days. Like, people, it's now, people's opinions are fact to them, right? And so, yes. you know, you, you are not going to change somebody's mind. There's, there's no sales trick in the book. There's no, you know, if you're tricking people, that's not sales, right? That's, you know, manipulation. And so, yeah. you know, I think what sales is, is what you said. Uh, to me, I, I go back to it's problem solving. Right. And so what you do is you problem solve. You figure out, hey, is my product or service, can I, will this actually solve the problem you have? What is the problem you have? Are we even talking about the same thing? You know, are we making this, is this, are our puzzle pieces going to fit together? And that's why I do think engineers turn into be great salespeople once they kind of get over the, again, the head trash sure. of, of the role is that, that then they, they are problem, they're puzzle solvers. That's what they do, right? That's well, the idea is that, and that's, that's what the we need. Best, and that's the best salespeople I meet are people that look at it. And that's how I think of it. Like when I think of, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, I love enterprise selling when I'm doing that is, is because it is a very complex puzzle, right? There's politics and there's agendas and there's multiple people and there's all kinds of things. And there's all these things that don't, it's not about is your software the best use for their company, right? That is almost like that's the 17th thing on a 16 point checklist, right? <laughs> so it's, you know, solving the rest of the puzzle is the interesting part. And that's what makes really good salespeople. That's, that's what they understand is that that's what they're doing. You're problem solving or, or, and you're serving. I think that's great. And, I, you know, it's. Well, we're, perp- I, we're perpetrating and perpetuating, actually. We're, perpetu- we're doing both, actually. Yeah. We're perpetrating <laughs> and perpetuating. Right. This problem, we meaning sales leaders. Yes. Because when you look at job descriptions for open positions, right? What are we looking for? We're looking for a hunter. We're looking right. for a closer. We want an aggressive, you know, character personality. And you know, you sort of go down and it's all these sort of quasi machismo, you know, you know, <laughs> testosterone-laden descriptions. As opposed, just, as, as opposed to saying, look, what we really want is we've got somebody that's sort of hyper-curious, problem-solver, yeah, yeah. analytic, this is what we want. And no, I, I've never seen a sales job description written that way, except the ones I write. Right. Uh, but, well, but they should be. But I think that you're right because, you know, it, it's one of the things I talked about when I was coaching customers a lot. I was like, you know, in their CRM, I don't care what CRM they use. I said, if you need to delete this field in all of your opportunities. And if you can't delete it, just hide it, get rid of it. Like cl- estimated close date is the dumbest thing that everyone's ever talked about in their entire life. Right. Like there's nobody ever that can estimate a close date. It never works. It's just, it's just, bad. it's just weird. We've allowed, you know, Wall Street you know, for a handful of companies big enough to actually report to Wall Street, we've allowed their behavior of how they think a number should be delivered permeate all the way down to the lowest, to the smallest sales organizations. And you say, you know what? You're not a closer. Your job is not to close. Your job is to, because the idea of close is, again, just even the word is the wrong word. Like it's it's one of the things I said earlier about that people call this, but it's actually what I kind of like in software now. I like this idea of customer success, this idea of, your job in software as a service is to get people to keep on paying you, right? So mm-hmm. they can they vote with their wallet. And the way you get them to keep on paying you is have them have success using your tool. If they have success using your tool as they define it, 
right? As you define, help them define it. But as long as they define themselves as having success, they're never going to leave, right? And that's the job. So the job is not to close them. The job is to actually open them up, right? It's to actually understand yes. them more, to actually understand what actually, how do they define success? What is success going to look like, right? Is that something we can help them deliver? And then to deliver that again and again and again, over and over and over again, as we live more and more in the subscription economy, like that's, there is no close. It, you literally, you don't want them to close, right? You want them to be open forever. You want them as a subscriber for life. That that's yeah. the goal, right? And so I agree. It's 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 it's. I have problems with the kind of very militaristic language we use sometimes in sales and business. I have the problem with these kind of very aggressive terms. It's just not the way human beings want to relate and work with each other, and it's not the way people actually do work with each other. Well, I think right? that's and that's that's the point, right? So so where's this disconnect, you know, coming from, and why is it still so? So obvious, right? And and evident in the way that that sales leaders, you know, sort of talk about it is is it's like, yeah, that's not really the way people do business. Not really the way people make decisions. People they close on their own time frame. They're not closing on your time frame unless you're dangling a big discount in front of them. I mean, it's it's yeah, we still have this myth, as you said, the estimated close date. Yeah, the other thing that that I always still get amused by is the probability weighted forecasts. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, so. it's a tool that that. I thought was on the verge of going away until CRM systems started coming out and, and right. reinforcing it. But when you look at them, it's it's ridiculous, right? So you think, okay, and I give an example of this in, in my latest book is is that if you have four competitors on a deal, and if we're saying, look, we're measuring our probability based on how basically by a distance, right? By how far we've gone into our sales cycle. Right. Well, if they got four proposals. All four don't have a seventy-five percent chance of winning. Yeah, math's even better than that because you know who's who's everyone's biggest competitor. The status quo do nothing, right? right? So, so you've got four competitors, but the reality is your biggest competitor. So you're all weighted at maybe a fifteen percent chance each. A forty percent chance is they do nothing. They keep their current solution, right? Ex- and so, exactly. like, so like you know, like the the idea that you can. So look, I love funnels. I love the math. I'm a, I'm a nerd about math, and I love that idea at, at aggregate, at large scale, at large numbers. Those are things that are interesting to me, right? So you have 30,000 web traffic visitors, you get 2% of them to actually opt into your sales form, that, you know, to, to estimating lead count or estimating, you know, people entering a funnel, I think is, is interesting and you can do at scale individual decision purchases percentages are ridiculous. Like that's just, there's, you you have no idea what's happening to that person. Are you really, are they really looking for a solution? You know, again, I go back to enterprise here, but this is like why I love it. It's, it's, it's how everyone works. You know, you have no idea what the buyer's really thinking. And you know, the, the, we, they are looking at you and your four competitors, but maybe they literally don't want a solution because they're afraid that they're afraid the software is going to replace them or your service is going to replace them or they're going to be looked down on. It's not going to help them achieve their personal goal of getting a promotion inside the business. Like that is never information you're going to be able to garner in a sales process. That is never information you're going to be able to wait with a number, right? Of what of whether they're going to actually well, close or not. Right. So, I mean, you may right. you may be able to get the information, but you're right. I mean, it's you can't right. wait, you can't wait that with with a number, sure. right? Right. And but most salespeople. Yeah, won't won't get to that point. Well, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, we're sort of on this this track where you're talking about forecasting and closing, but but yeah, I once asked a room of of sales professionals I was presenting to. I said, so in business to business, relatively complex products and services. So I said, well, raise your hand if you've ever actually been in the room when the customer made the decision. 
Not, <laughs> not very many hands went up, I guarantee that, yeah. right? So. Basically, basically none, right? Right. And it's like, so what's it mean to be a closer in that circumstance? Right. I think that's and that's it. I think that 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 answers the question of why that still permeates is I think it's just a changing of the guard. You know, you figure, you know, basically up until really, you know, the 70s and, you know, solution selling and Sandler and all the kind of the techniques started happening, you know, basically we're all you are all running off the IBM playbook. Right. I mean, so, you know, so five five call close. Right. You know, IBM or NCR, you know, basically the three or four big, big, big companies that actually did sales training in the 20s and 30s. And that was the the, the camp du jour for 50 years. Right. And so you had that some version of that, at least, was kind of what we're doing. And of course, that is was big. You were walking into merchants and closing a deal. You were getting them to write you a check to buy your that cash register you put on the counter. Right. Um, and so that transactional thing was actually happening. But then we just kind of used that language and it became, you know, the language we were using around these other things. And like you said, now in Siebel and then Salesforce and all the CRMs, now they've kind of become just de facto standards of these these things we use closed one, you know, close. It's what uh, I like. I hate the word closed. Like not, you know, I just, just closed one, you know, or closed loss. Like, well, you know, it's really, it's not a closed cause you got this thing opened, but also really, you know, it, it, some of the psychological something stuff which I really like is this idea of that, you know, a no is actually a win in a lot of cases, right? What happens in most sales is we just don't hear anything. Right. And so we, we just, we get hungry thinking, Oh, uh, I haven't heard no yet, so it's still a it's still a chance. There's still a chance, especially you know if it's if I'm relying on it, if I've already mentally cashed that commission check, right? And so like you know, so I'm like it's, it can still happen. You know, I have got Bob and I have a great relationship still. He's still taking all my phone calls. Tells me that you know they're they're almost close to making a decision, right? Like you want to hear a no in that scenario, but they well, won't tell they won't tell you that, right? And so right. So as a manager though, so the rule yeah. of thumb for a manager in that scenario, you know, especially if you're a smaller company, smaller sales team is at least the one I use is that you know the likelihood of the deal closing is in inverse proportion to how defensive the sales rep gets about the opportunity. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So the more you ping them and dive deep into the deal and what's really happening, the more defensive they get, then you know that it's never going to happen. Right, right. So, and, 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 and that's a great, and defensive is a great p- a word there because it generally is their defensive because they then know they haven't done other, they've let other, you know, pieces of fruit die on the vine while they're nurturing this one too much or they weren't doing other prospects and they haven't solidified their position with other opportunities to be able to deal with a no here. And so because of that, they are desperately defending themselves and their behavior to themselves, let alone to you. Right? Yeah, well, uh, one of the best right. examples of this I heard was, and I, I wrote about this in my, in my most recent book, was was um, I was on a train in New York City getting ready to go to, I think, to Boston. And uh, some this Friday afternoon, I was going up to Boston to visit my daughter who was going to college up there and and some harried young salesperson gets on the, the train, phone glued to his ear, sits down in the seat right in front of me. It was the last day of the month. So he was kind of agitated, talking to his boss. I could tell he was sort of, you know, being very defensive about why this one particular deal didn't close on the month. <laughs> and then the perfect words come out of his mouth. He goes, Well, the buyers were just liars. 
<laughs> right, of course. That's always what it is. Yeah, it's always, always, the always buyers, buyers were just liars. It's like, uh-huh, right. You got to that stage. They were just pulling your leg this whole time. This was just then, an elaborate prank to have you <laughs> waste your time. Because, and their time. Because and their time. Because they've got nothing better than time. They had nothing better to do just, with their just time. Just to string than, along sales reps. Like, that's literally, there's a competition inside their organization of who can string along the most sales reps in a calendar year. Well, let's, right. let's jerk Johnny's chain. So, uh, so, yeah, I just, I thought that was priceless. You know, I had to write about right. that because, dude, <laughs> you know, Man up, right? Oh, up to it. The fact that you just didn't do your job. Yeah, I think that, you know, and, and I'm the, so I was in the military for a short period of time. And, and the, the key lesson I learned there was, you know, it was kind of a leadership lesson, which was when, you know, when a squad, when a squad member was screwing up, it, you know, the, the, the military's view from, from a non-commissioned officer point of view, at least and my first sergeant taught me this when I actually had screwed up. So I'd screwed up and the, the company commander, the captain was kind of reading me the riot act um, about how much of a screw up I was for this thing I'd done wrong. And the first sergeant, who's a non-commissioned officer, who actually is, you know, is outranked by the captain, corrected him. He's got 30 years of service in and said, look, at the end of the day, if if someone under your command is not performing well, that's your responsibility. Like that's you like that. That's on you. Like you haven't set expectations correctly. You haven't coached them correctly. There's something you haven't done. Now, of course, there's always a poor form that has to be pushed out. But on that case, I guarantee you that sales manager is a bad sales manager. That sales manager won't listen when a sales rep tells him no, right? It says, look, you know, this cus- this deal is not going to close, right? They've gone quiet on me. Yes, they were very excited, but I haven't been able to do this. Here's the three things I've done to try to re-engage the deal. It's not working. I can't do this. I can't do that. And instead of the sales manager, you know, coaching, well, hey, how do we find this out earlier next time? Like what warning signals could we have seen? Like what, what should we, how do we, you know, make sure this doesn't happen again and this focus on other things. Instead, they're like, well, let's just keep calling them, right? You should go sit in their lobby, right? Go, just go sit in their lobby. <laughs> with a purchase order in your hand. Like, it you know, gets all this horrible coaching. Have you ever done that? Is, um, I, I've, I've been told to do that, right? I've been, I've been told to do that. But, oh, I, uh, I, I did it. I mean, I... I, I <laughs> so I worked for one of those big four companies you talked about uh, right. that did the training and so on. And, and yeah, my first job, our salesman, our branch managers for our sales office had their big bonus of the year was based on a June sales contest. And so literally anything that wasn't nailed to the floor got shipped out of the office in June. And there was one customer, this branch manager was bound to determine this guy was going to, he was going to buy an upgrade to his, his computer system. And I was just the one to go get that order. And yeah, yeah, I was sitting in the lobby with my order form. And this guy, the company I worked for, it was a company called Burroughs, is, is at the time their CEO, his, his managing philosophy was that customers should be kept surly but not rebellious. <laughs> Seriously, nice. honest to God, you can, right. find, you can look right. it up online. This, was, this right. was his customer service, customer support mantra. Right. Because what they thought was that the slightly unhappy customer was the best prospect for an upsell. Right. <laughs> and so there was a guy who was the customer. That was, he was more than slightly, more than surly. He was, he was just plain <laughs> pissed. And and I was brand new. I hadn't sold the system to the guy, but I had inherited the account. This branch manager, he had a big bonus if I could sell this this huge upsell on this peripheral device. And and yeah, yeah, just uh, go close that order today. Right. And don't come right. back unless you get it. Right. Don't come back until you got a signed purchase order. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think. This is, you know, it's never, it's always, you know, the sales rep blamed the line customer. The sales manager is going to blame the bad sales rep. 
the VP of sales is going to bl- blame the weak middle sales manager. Like it's 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 the pass the buck game. Unfortunately, is what happens a lot in these 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 types of organizations. Which again is why I like working with smaller companies these days, just because you know there's a lot there's fewer bucks to pass around. There's you know, there has to be more introspection because there's just there, there you, you can't hide. It's hard to hide when you're not a sales team of hundreds. Um, you know, and I, I think that. Again, I you know everyone talks about how everything's changed because of the internet. I think that, that while it's sped a lot of things up and it's a new channel for, in a lot of ways, I think the one thing it, it has made a huge difference is is that you know it, it has humanized us all to to a, a bit of an ex- extent where there aren't these barriers to get to people anymore. There used to be there aren't these kind of class systems inside customers versus salespeople. So you better kind of understand why your customer is buying or why they're not buying because they, you know, the old, even 10 years ago, right? The job as a salesperson was you were the arbiter of information, right? Someone wanted to do something. They'd call up the five big vendors. You all go out there, you do your, you know, dog and pony show. And that's how a sales process would start. Well, now they've done all that on themselves, right? And while I don't buy into the whole seventy percent of the process is done, there's no doubt that if only if only if your only purpose is education of your product, then you're not a salesperson. You're a walking brochure, and the internet does a better job of that than you do because it's open twenty four hours a day, right? So your job needs to be what we said before. Your job needs to be: Are you a problem solver? Right? Are you a servant to your customers? Right? Are you actually serving them? Are you actually helping them have success? Are you actually helping them make the proper decision, not the one that gets you the June contest, right? But the actual proper decision for their business because it's just the switching costs now are so are so low well but you so you raised an interesting point though i want to go back a couple steps is, yeah. is because you would certainly have people disagree with this because you know there's this whole school of thought that says that oh, it's so much harder today you know it's 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 you know it's just hard you know it's harder to get hold of people it's it's you know and i'm like no, it's just hard. It's still hard. Right. It's, al- it's always been hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not any harder. It's not any easier. It's just hard. This is a it's hard different. job. It's a different hard, right? Yeah, it's a- but, but it's still hard. I mean, I, I give the examples. You know, when I would when I was out making 30, 40 cold calls a day and knocking on doors and going into, you know, park at a business park and spend all day calling on every company in the business park is, <laughs> is you know, at least if you leave somebody a voicemail today, you know that, yeah, they have a choice. They may or may not listen to it. But you'd go into an office, and the gatekeeper, she wouldn't, she wouldn't bother to leave the message, right? You would say, "I uh, here's my card. If you could give you know John the message that I stopped by, following up the email or following up with the mail. Actually, in our case, my case, the mail I sent. Um, yeah, yeah, it gets torn up as soon as you walk out the door. Yeah, so I think that I think that I think it's still hard. I agree with that. I, I think that again, it depends on how you see it. I think the thing I like about it is if I if you look at your job as a problem solver, then the more data, the more data you have, the better to solve a problem. We have more data now than ever before. Like right. I can tell, I can tell you things about my prospects that they don't know. I know about them. Right. Just sure. because, you know, I mean, the internet has given me all of that power. And so now I have more answers for my puzzle. Right. So now I believe this actually makes that easier. Now, yes, there's, it adds new complexity because, because it's easier to find this information out. Your competitors, it's easier for them as well. Right. So it's easier for, you know, email, for example, like it's easy to find anyone's email address. So everyone can do it. And so people are being deluged by emails. Right. So they're getting way too many emails. You know, well, okay. Then knowing that, then how do you make your email stand out to them? Or how do you, you know, God forbid, pick up the phone now. 
because people aren't cold calling anymore, right? Because <laughs> they're hiding behind social selling, they're hiding behind cold email, they're hiding behind everything that you know, hiding behind a screen. So you know, doing the quintessential, you know, zig whenever else is zagging, right? So pick up that phone because people actually do answer their phones now more as the other thing, right? So you know, again, yeah, they, they don't have people answering their phones. For them there's like no such to. thing. There's no such thing as secretaries anymore like that, right? So that they don't exist. Uh, even voicemail doesn't really corporate voicemail doesn't really exist the way it used to either, right? Like that was the that was the gatekeeper use people use. Now people publish people give you their mobile phone numbers. Right. I mean, so like there's there's you're going to connect more than you used to, and you're doing something that's hard. And because it's hard, it means fewer people are doing it, which means you have fewer competition doing it. Again, you know, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And if it was easy, you wouldn't have the chance to make, you know, a very good salary in a profession, right? So well, if it was easy, you know, you wouldn't it would there'd be there'd be no competition to it. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that that it's not that if it's easy everyone would do it. I think everyone does it, but there's a reason that we have this Pareto distribution of of revenue production that you know the eighty twenty rule is that yeah the, the people have the persistence and the resilience to to take the no to keep on going to be the problem solver to be in service to somebody else, which is you know psychologically that's not easy to say look I'm here to push something to you as opposed to say, no, I'm really here to serve you. What do you, what do you need? Right. How can right. I help? That's, that's hard for some people. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I tell you that it's interesting though. I feel like I, I think it is it to kind of take that kind of back foot to be a little subservient about it is a little difficult, but I think it kind of gives you some armor though. Right. So if you actually own that, if you believe that, if you believe your job as a problem solving is to serve your customers, then it kind of gives you, the 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 power to 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 brush off the rejection it gives you the power to fight through the no's or fight through the 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 no responses till you get something because if you believe you're in service to somebody you believe what you're doing probably has value to them right so if it has value to them then you're going to be a little more pushy about it and i don't mean to be bad pushy but i mean the reality is like it's not oh i sent them an email they didn't respond they don't love me right it's it's like hey they i haven't got through to them yet but what's important is i i'm pretty confident that i can help them i can help them solve the problem they have right so now i'm going to try a little harder to make sure my message gets to them i'm going to try more than just one attempt on a phone call or more than just one email or more than one whatever contact form you want to try is and so i, I think there's some power in understanding that your role is to serve those people what? because yeah well i was going to say i think one of the the reasons we sort of short circuit that and you know, I say we and sort of global, we sales leaders and so on, is we we don't train salespeople in a way that instills the passion in them, right? So what you're talking about is what you were just talking about is the passion is the firm belief, right? If we're going to serve somebody, we're going to be passionate in the belief that what we are going to serve them with has value for them. Right. And and that they would be crazy not to want to at least take a look at it, right? Because it's there. And oftentimes People think, well, yeah, that's really plays into the stereotype of the really pushy salesperson because, you know, they just won't let go because, you know, they just think, wow, this, this has so much value. Well, but look at it from that perspective. You know, f- yeah, if you get people that really firmly believe that, they're not really, I mean, yeah, they might be persistent, but they're going to be persistent with value. They're going to offer something the customer really needs. And I'd, I'd love to have people like that who, who felt confident that what they were selling really helped the customer. 
Right. I think that you said the, the V word, which is my favorite, which is value. And I think that's the big thing people get mistaken here is that so if you believe your product or, or service is delivers value to someone, the problem is that me calling you up a hundred times and just bragging about how awesome my product or service is because it's going to solve your problem is not actually delivering any value to you. So what I eat, so I don't care how much I believe I'm going to offer your value. I need to give you, you know, my, my line is if you want to, you know, if, if you want to create kind of a, a, a valuable offer for someone, you have to offer something of value in their eyes. Right. Exactly. And you don't get, you don't get the determined value. They do. They do. Right. Absolutely. So, so you need to figure out how do I offer this to them in a way that they perceive value from our interaction? How do I get people to willingly enter into a sales conversation with me because I've delivered enough value first? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the question. It's not just, Hey, I'm going to literally call you every day. <laughs> yeah. I remember like people would do that. I'd have people you know, sure. go to, here's your phone book. Oh yeah. Call them and like basically threaten them. Right. I'm going to call you every Thursday at eight 15 until you finally return my phone call, <laughs> right? And like, like literally, like passively aggressively threaten, you know, Boy, that's prospects. No, yeah, there's no right? passive aggressive. Though. That's just <laughs> right. aggressive. Active aggressive. <laughs> Active sure, aggressive, right? right. So, right. So, but, um, but yeah, but like, I, I think that that's not valuable, right? No, no but, but so, instead saying, right, well, here's something of value to you, exactly. And to, you, to, yeah. and you brought up that the equation is really customers have a choice. They invest their time in you. They give you some time. They have an expectation. There's an exchange going to take place. They're going to get value in return. And if there's no right. value coming in return, you don't get time. And, and so it. it's a sale like that. You know, someone's time and attention is the sale. Like it's, you, 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 it's it, the first sale. It's the it first. Is, it is the first sale. That's what I. That's what I tell people is the first sale we make. There's no money changing hands. There's time and value that changes hands. If you can make that first sale, it opens the door to the next second sale, which is the next call. So. And if you're in B2B, that's actually the more valuable of the two sales. Because if you're in B2B for the most part, unless you're selling to the owner of the business, it is not their checkbook they're writing with. Right? And so their time and attention is more valuable to them than the budget they're responsible for. Right. Right. So oh, you point. getting them to say yet yes to that is the hardest sale. That is that is the more difficult one in B2B. And if you can do that, you got it. You're gonna do very well. Excellent. Well, Damon, hey, unfortunately we've run out of time. It seems like yep. we could go on forever, but um, <laughs> Yeah, great conversation. So tell folks how they can find out more about LeadFuse. We were going to talk about LeadFuse, but uh, we had a good conversation otherwise. So tell people how they can learn more about LeadFuse and connect with you. Yeah, sure. So uh, just go to the website. It's leadfuse.com. It's L-E-A-D-F-U-Z-E. It's an automated uh, email generation, automated cold email generation platform. I help people kind of start new sales conversations. Um, I'm, I'm an email guy, so you can always email me if you want. It's Damien at leadfuse.com. Uh, happy to answer any questions or help anybody uh, understand this. And obviously, through our conversation you've seen, I'm always happy to talk sales. <laughs> so I uh, love talking to customers and uh, to uh, business owners and salespeople about what's working, what's not working for them, whether they're a customer of ours or not. Excellent. Great. Well, Damien, hey, it's been a pleasure. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Remember, come back, join me for the next great episode of Accelerate. In the meantime, get a chance. Go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Subscribe. Leave us a review. Really appreciate your feedback on what we can do to make this an even more valuable experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 